This is Speak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with Carlisle Studer. We had a wide-ranging and fascinating conversation about her holistic health journey, intuitive eating, hormonal support, phases of a woman's natural cycle, the lymph system and the power of putting your legs up the wall, esoteric health hacks, praying over a glass of water, the power of gelatin gummies, mutton busting, and so much more. Carlisle is wicked smart. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you do as well. If you'd like to contribute to Peak Earth, a great way is to share an episode out across social media or sending it to a friend. You could leave a five-star review on Spotify app or the Apple app. Both of those always make me cheese, a nice big grin, smiley face. A third way could be to open up a coffee shop somewhere, maybe the busiest cross-section in your local metropolitan area to ensure it's a high traffic location. Make sure it's a really cool, hip, just vibey coffee shop what you could do is maybe maybe the hire some of the, the best local talent to be the baristas uh, make sure sh- make sure the decor is aesthetic but also warm and inviting so you, you you'll also want to ensure that you've got just the best quality coffee some regenerative or organic beans from probably somewhere in south america where they've been sourced meticulously and roasted intentionally and then what you could do is play episodes of this podcast, play Peak Earth podcast episodes instead of music. I think that would be really cool. Of course, you don't have to do any of these things. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Carlisle Studer. How are you? Good. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Stoked to connect with you. It's been a long time since I've been following your work online and you share a lot of great and original ideas that that I really enjoy. And I'm curious when you began sort of sharing online and, and what catalyzed that? Oh, gosh. Um, I think, I mean, if we want to be super honest, it was, it was like a 2020, the world shutting down kind of thing. Um, I think that was such like an isolating time for most people. And before then I had it's a long story. I lived a lot of different lives. Before that, I had such a small account, like 200 followers. I used to be an actor. I've done stand-up comedy. Like, and it was just a place for like thoughts and, and stuff like that. And it wasn't until 2020 when, you know, I don't know how censored this is, but the vaccine rollout happened. I was like, you know, people were getting censored and their accounts were getting banned for kind of just like talking out about spike proteins or the danger of doing something that hasn't been tested for properly for a long time. And I was like, I have 300 followers. I have literally nothing to lose. So I just kind of, I was like, yeah, I've tweeted a lot of kind of, you know, conspiracy adjacent stuff that leaned, uh, you know, some people would qualify it as anti-vax kind of sentiments and, and things like that. And from then I found that kind of underground holistic health community that kind of like exists in Twitter, like that very niche space. And from there, I made a lot of really good connections and a lot of and met a lot of good people and learned so much. And it was, it was such an interesting turning point because I've been interested in all things, alternative health my whole life. 
And I kind of always felt stuck with like, nobody knows about this stuff. I can't really talk about it. And then you discover the side of Twitter that's like fully immersed into this in everyday life. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is like a whole new world for me. And so the first few tweets that got traction were just like random anti-vax tweets that I would put out. And then from there, I was like, okay, maybe people actually care about what I'm eating for breakfast. And so that's kind of how it got started. And I, I didn't put a lot of effort or thought into what it was. Like I haven't written a threads or, you know, I don't do a lot of just like promo stuff or I don't tweet a ton, but I, but I I just share about what's going on. And so it's good that people are interested. I had a a similar sort of catalyst. It was, it was 2020 when I started being less of a consumer of digital media and more of a creator of it, just out of like boredom and, and thinking that, well, I could maybe contribute something helpful to someone who was like struggling with their health during this time, because I have a pretty good grip on it. And I feel like I've got some good ideas in this realm. And the vaccine part in particular, I don't want to linger on it too long or go too deep into it, but it's absolutely fascinating how it's sort of the one pharmaceutical modality that has this mystique around it, where if you question it even slightly, like you, there's this <laughs> instant kind of like controversy around it. And it's, it's really fascinating, just, just that one sort of observation, because you've got all kinds of horrible pharmaceuticals, like all the painkillers and the opiates that are just devastating America. But then if you start to question something like a vaccine, there's, there's such a hubbub about it. It's really pretty odd. Yeah. It's, it's like the one thing that's holding up a lot of illusions. And so I think that that's why it's so sensitive. Like it's the, it's kind of like the final frontier because it's easy to see how an opiate will ruin someone's life, but it's rare that people will admit or correlate, um, a vaccine to an injury. So it's kind of harder to tackle, but yeah, interesting. (laughs) And adjacent to the vaccine situation, I know a lot of, most of the vaccines are given just at birth to babies as they're born in a hospital. What do you think of birth in a hospital versus the alternative? I mean, I think the number one thing is whatever, whatever makes the woman giving birth feel the most comfortable because that's the most important thing. But on, I mean, that's not, I would never want to give birth in a hospital because I think being born in a place with fluorescent lights and being held by strangers who don't know you. And, and even like, if you want to give birth in a hospital and you want to opt out of certain vaccines, the paperwork you have to sign is insane. Like the, the hoops you have to j- jump through to have birth your way. And you have to write out a specific birth plan. And it's not, it's not catered towards how we're meant to give birth. And it's not catered towards the child or the woman giving birth. It's catered towards the doctor, whatever is easiest for him or her, I guess. I think that there's just a long history of of it being catered towards a doctor and not towards the person actually giving birth. And so like, you know, there's definitely emergency situations where it's good. I mean, in my future, I hope to have my kids at home because I think being able to do that is just so special. And like the challenge of that is so amazing. And to be able to do that is incredible. Um, but the hoops that women have to jump through to be able to have a safe birth in a hospital and the literature that they have to study to be able to advocate for themselves is absolutely insane. Wow. Yeah, that's – and to think we all sort of well, – most of us have come into the world that way. And who knows the effects that has on on a young human being, just some of the things that you mentioned. And I think there, there's maybe more I, – I remember watching a documentary. I think it was called The Business of, of Birth, and it – it showed in a really beautiful sort of juxtaposition between this home birth process versus someone who had, had chosen to give birth in a hospital. And it was all these like blinking sounds and lights and the stress levels were through the roof. And there were all these people around with like masks and gloves. And there's, and there's just like cutting of the umbilical cord versus like this peaceful at home. There's like 
nice music in the background. It's just the mom and and the um, the home the home birth assistant. What what are they called? The doula or the midwife? Yes, yeah, and it's just such a peaceful, serene environment. And the baby comes out and is being held by the mother immediately instead of being handled by you know all the hospital staff. And that was absolutely an amazing juxtaposition to just see those two entrance experiences for the new human being. And I I feel like that is a I, I do know that home births are growing at a, at a massive rate and 2020 was such a catalyst for, for that, for homesteading, for holistic health and, and so many more things. It really does have potential to be like a beautiful sort of catalyst that breaks open the human consciousness towards these things. Oh yeah. It was a huge movement in absolutely everything. And there's so many people that have completely changed their lives on it. And so I think that net, you know, net positive is good. I think we're moving in the right direction. When it comes to just holistic health, in general, were you always interested in these things or did, have you had a journey with that as well? Yeah, yes. It's it's interesting because my mom was kind of ahead of her time in regards to everyone else. Like I think we had a Berkey like 20 years ago. Um, like she was all about like, so my dad, my dad had an environmental cleanup company. And so ever since they got married, we were, they were big about filtering their water and the damage that could do. And so there was definitely a level of awareness around it growing up. Like my mom only fed me organic meats and I, I didn't even know what like a zebra cake was until I was like 16. Like I was not (laughs) like my friends would make fun of me, but I think that I had a lack of, I, I didn't understand the value that it gave me as a kid. And I don't think I understood why. Like I knew that all my friends' pantries looked different than ours. And like my friends would come over and be like, where's the food? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like we have strawberries. Like what do you, there's food here. And so, and I think that once I discovered like junk food and processed food later in life, I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I can't believe my mom hid this from me my whole life. Um, Which is so funny. I was homeschooled too. So like I definitely had a different upbringing and a lot more of awareness around things that most kids don't get exposed to. But I think that it's very interesting because what originally got me into like holistic health myself and not just like my mom being a good influence was um, a few things. Like it started off with diet for a desire to like just be skinny and not just to be healthy. And then from there, from years on, it kind of evolved. And then someone gave me a bag of essential oils for Christmas and learning about the history of essential oils. I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. Like, how come no one told me about all these things? And I mean, I don't even use essential oils anymore. I never, I'm not a super big, like, I don't know as much about them as I did at the time, but just that gift of getting essential oils and kind of being like open to my mind about how natural things can be used as therapies, um, I think was originally the catalyst for it. And that was like when I was 18 And then I started reading, I started obsessively reading um, Dr. Mercola's website and all of his articles and then just completely took off from there. And I was in on the health trends when it was the exact opposite of what it is now. So it was kale smoothies and almond butter and no red meat. And the only thing I would eat was like wild caught salmon. And that caused a whole bunch of issues down the road too. So I think the biggest takeaway I've learned is to not go all in on trends because trends are trends for a reason and just kind of like sticking to the basics is the most important. Awesome. I have this conceptualization of like trends and fads where sort of fads are like the waves coming in and rolling out. And then the trend is almost like the tide where you've got this broader trend of like holistic health, but then you've got these fads within the trend wave that are like, oh, let's all eat plant-based. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. Let's all eat keto. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. Let's, Let's eat, you know, now there's people eating just massive amounts of like 
honey and, and steak. And I, maybe that's a fad. Maybe that's, you know, going to be the foundation of the future for us, you know, enjoy vibrant vitality. But it, there are so many different ways to the waterfall. And I love that you were into the essential oils for a while. And I think a lot of people sort of find a way into like supplements, just finding that there's some strange route from the Amazon helps them think more clearly. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, how, how else can I like improve my life? And it's just really kind of an endless rabbit hole that one can dive down and tinker with. Right. It's such a snowball effect. And I feel like if I would have found a lot of the information that's circulating now, years ago, when I was kind of like immersed in like the vegan adjacent lifestyle, it would have saved me a lot of, a lot of trouble because I was probably so protein deficient and like fasting and doing, I used to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and do soul cycle classes on an empty stomach and like live off of literally just kale smoothies with almond milk. And I was like, if someone would have told me this whole time that you can like eat a steak for breakfast and feel better than you ever have, I I would have conquered the world by now. Like it's just really funny. So it was a good lesson for me to just to not be obsessive and, and to listen to your body. Like there were things I was craving and we see our cravings like as our enemies. And it's as something, it's very, it's like a very common, like mainstream belief is like something to be conquered. Like your sugar cravings are bad or red meat cravings are bad. Like it, and not as our body's intelligent design trying to communicate something to us. And so I think like I'm a big fan of looking at the deeper meanings of everything. And I think that if I would have relaxed a little bit on myself and allowed myself to look deeper into why am I craving these things, like then I would have figured this out a lot sooner, but yeah. Ice cream cravings too. Oh yeah. I literally, that's what I was eating just before this. I was like, I I haven't had dinner yet, but I'm going to have some Jenny's darkest chocolate ice cream. (laughs) The calcium and the sugar is good for stress and I feel great. So (laughs) there's no rules. Yeah. It, it is amazing. I've come to a similar conclusion and I went through it most of my 20s just like looking to experts to tell me how to approach health, diet, nutrition, only to finally come to a place where I was like, oh, these answers are all within me. I just need to allow them to unfold and, and attend to them and pay, pay attention to like the subtle ways in which they you know express and sometimes not so subtle, but it's like all there from a diet, health and movement perspective. I feel like the intuitive path has, has been so much more nourishing for me than listening to what other people say about how to eat and be healthy. Oh, absolutely. We are our own biggest experiment. And how many times does science take 20 or 30 or 40 years to catch up? And I'm like, if you notice like pattern recognition, especially when it comes to dialing in your diet and your lifestyle or getting to root cause issues is like the most important thing, like noticing the physical patterns that happen after you eat certain foods and also like the emotional patterns that coincide with them. That was like key for me in reverse engineering that, but it is very interesting. Like, especially talking to people who are older, like I feel like the boomers and the gen gen X were so like on all the different waves of diets and like, you know, from they did the no fat and they've done the no sugar and like, and then we've, and then, you know, they've lived long enough to see that all the things that they were telling us to do when we were kids are the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. So it's, you are your own greatest teacher and science can take forever to catch up. But like the the most important thing is that immediate feedback loop. And I think that's the best sign of health. That's a deep, deep wisdom and something that I think is really important to share for, for, you know, our younger selves would ideally benefit from that. I'm sure there are people listening who would, would hopefully be turned on to that idea because it is a powerful one. And within that realm, a bit of a a niche topic, but for women listening and for men listening who live with women, when it comes to 
the cycle that women go through, how does that play into the intuitive process and with feeling out your sort of state of being in health? Oh, oh my gosh. I wish people would have educated me on this earlier as well, because it would have saved me so much trouble. And I think like the number one thing that comes to my mind when I think about this is there's, you know, four hormone cycles and we can get deeper into that. But women always talk about PMS cravings and they're like, I'm craving chocolate. I'm craving all these foods. Well, what's happening is your progesterone is ramping up because you're in your luteal phase right before, you know, like the two weeks before you start your period approximately. And what that means is your body's actually burning 200 to 300 more calories during that time. And so I think so many women are like, oh my gosh, I'm crazy. Like all I want is chocolate or ice cream. I'm like, no, your body wants quick sustenance. And a chocolate craving can be a sign of a magnesium deficiency or a copper deficiency. Like you probably just need magnesium. You probably need protein. And so like what I do is during that time, and you know, I work a full-time job too. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm going to my luteal phase. My metabolism's going to be up. I'm going to need more fat, more protein, and a little more carbs. And so like when I meal prep, I, I take that into account um, because like the, the women's lifestyle of living off of like iced coffees and stuff like that is, is so bad for our hormones long term. And I'm not a huge advocate. Like I think if you're metabolically flexible, you can fast as a woman, but you should coincide it with your cycle when, you know, the time at the end of your period for like the week or two afterwards, your body can handle stress better. So that would be a time to, to tone back the eating, to do intermittent fasting if you want. Um, but I think that women are rewarded more nowadays if they act more like men. And so I think like the need to fast and wake up and do cardio at six in the morning, all these things that we see as accomplishments can actually be very damaging to our biology. And so living in tune with your biology, knowing that you might be a little tired before your period and knowing how to support through that, because it's not normal to be debilitated. It's not normal to have terrible cramps. It's not normal to have a super heavy period. Like these things are, are common because everyone talks about them, but they're not normal. And basically your cycle each month is a report card to how your health is doing. And if each month for two weeks, you're out of commission because you're tired before and on your period, that's a sign that you kind of need to do some deeper work. And so I think when it comes to eating, you have to eat to support your hormones. Like a protein rich breakfast is like crucial. Like we cannot be just like having an apple for breakfast. That's setting you up for blood sugar dysregulation and and anger problems later in the day and (laughs) things like that. It is amazing how much our lives are ruled by hormones in a lot of ways and aligning habits with hormones can really lead to such a splendid elevation of of quality of life instead of having to turn to things like pharmaceuticals or or drug interventions, whether that's caffeine or alcohol. I think that you're really providing some some great knowledge here. Now, I'm I'm taking notes as well. So that was one one phase, the luteal phase. Are there any other like key sort of ideas around the phase cycle that you'd like to share? Yeah. So like start, so like we, the way we track it, I say we like women as a whole, and this, this only applies if you're not on hormonal birth control, because if you're on hormonal birth control, the period you're having is not a period. It is a withdrawal bleed. So you stop taking that hormonal birth control for a week and you bleed, but it's a withdrawal from the pharmaceuticals and the birth control. It's not necessarily like your body's naturally natural period, if that makes sense. And so that's cycle. The day you start your period is cycle day one. Um, and I just like track it through an app cause it's easy to, it's easy to do that. Like some people like to write it out and everything. Um, and that's like your menstrual cycle. And then once your period ends, you're in your like follicular phase. So you're out of there, 
you're not bleeding anymore. You're in your follicular phase. You feel great. Your energy starts to come back. Uh, you start to look better, feel better. This is the time when you can handle more stress. It's the time when you're more creative, tuned in, tapped in. Um, it's so funny because like if I look back on things, like if I'm, and then you, and then you ovulate. So, and then you ovulate and then you go to your luteal phase. So the follicular phase and the ovulation phase is like when you feel like superwoman, when you're, you're most creative, it's the best time to start projects. It's the best time to be social. Um, and it's funny. Cause if I look back, I'm like, that's totally the time when I'm making all these plans and taking on extra things for work. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I can do everything. And then, and then a week and a half later it comes and you're a little more tired. Um, that would be your luteal phase. You start to get minor PMS symptoms. And then for those, which should be about 10 to 14 days. So your bleeding phase should be like anywhere from two to five days. I would actually probably say three to five days is better. Um, and then your follicular phase can be, you know, it just depends. Everyone's different, like a week to 10 days. And then you ovulate. And that's only usually like a 24 to 48 hour window. And then you have your luteal phase. And so I think that syncing up, I mean, I've even seen girls on Twitter who like religiously track their cycles will schedule their like photo shoots around the days that they're ovulating because it's when you're the most beautiful. So you'll be the most attractive when you're fertile, which biologically makes sense. Um, but it's it's crazy. Like it's the skinniest you'll be of the whole month. So if you're trying to lose weight and you're tracking it, just weigh yourself on that day because that's when you'll be the skinniest. <laughs> that's when you'll get to see, and that's when you'll get to see the true effort paying off because you might hold on to extra water weight before your period and you don't want to get discouraged by that. So I always tell women like, don't weigh yourselves every day. That's not that's not an adequate way to, to track it. And so you, your, your face literally looks more symmetrical. Your skin like glows and it's the clearest it's going to be. And then you're like the skinniest. And so I definitely know people who are like, you know, try and plan first dates or photo shoots around that day. <laughs> Use the biology to your advantage. Yes, it's amazing. And men listening better not be tuning out because this is really important to understand. <laughs> it's it's nothing that we can relate to because we don't have this experience of generating a whole new organ essentially and then and then regenerating it and going through this this cycle. It does really require the entire body mind to sort of facilitate this process mm -hmm. and and it's important to kind of be aware of this and to also collaborate with it i'm curious how the lymph system plays into this if it does i know you share a lot about lymph which i, I find absolutely fascinating is this an important part of the process as well this is the lymph has been such an interesting journey for me because i've been saying for almost three years now like i'm like lymph is the next big thing everyone's gonna be talking about it's not really talked about a lot and it plays such an important role in so many things. And the only reason I got really into it was because I had two slightly swollen lymph nodes on my neck. And I was like, that's kind of strange. Like I'm not feeling sick. And they were just chronic, always there. So I just started getting, and then I was like, well, I'm going to get a lymphatic massage, which is, it's very gentle and it's targeted towards moving that lymph around because it's not like our blood where it pumps. You need to be moving you need to be drinking water. You need to be jumping around, dancing. Like these are the things that get our lymph moving. And, and it's like one of our body's first defense systems. And so I, I was just like, I got to learn everything about it because this is bothering me. And so I started getting lymphatic massages and my lymph must have been so stagnant because I would get like nauseous after these massages, just feel like terrible. And so I was like, okay, it's clearly stirring something up that like my body can't handle. And I don't know a lot about fascia, but my, my complete my guess, this is not, this is not rooted in science, is that 
our lymphatic system is deeply tied to our minds in terms of overthinking. And I was thinking about this because when I started doing deep work on my lymphatic system every day, the biggest things I noticed were one, my daily allergies went away almost instantly. Like no stuffy nose, no watery eyes, which can be a sign of stagnant lymph. Like allergies are, are a huge teller. And that is something that's so like everyone thinks is so normal to just have allergies every day um, and just blame it on the weather and stuff like that. But it can be other things. And I've done everything. I'd taken beef kidney to try and get rid of like these allergy responses. I had, I've been doing the carrot salad every day, lowering histamine, lowering estrogen, like all of these kinds of things. And then I just started putting my legs at the wall for 20 minutes a day and within literally, I'm not within days, I felt better. And you notice like if you put your legs at the wall for 20 minutes a day, you get in the best mood. It makes me like giggle and I feel so good. And so that's when I noticed the lymph mind connection. And that might just be a personal thing, but I'm a huge overthinker. Um, and not outwardly, but inwardly, I'm, I overthink everything um, and can tend to be a little bit like of a worried type, I would say. Um and just hyper aware. And I think that hyper awareness takes a huge toll on the body. And so if our lymph is something that should be flowing, it should be like our thoughts. And so I think repetitive thoughts are, we're just storing in my body. And I, I think that that release I felt has definitely probably helped with my hormones in some level. I don't know how exactly, like I wouldn't know the biology behind those connections, but a lot of people who think they're holding on to extra weight it is, it is stagnant lymph. Like I, I had a message from a lady saying, I have not changed anything in my diet or my lifestyle. I've just been doing your thing of putting my legs up the wall for 20 minutes a day. And I lost like five pounds. And I was like, I'm telling you it's, it's women, I think especially tend to hold lymph in like the back of their arms and their legs. And, and so it's really fascinating to see that we could look at something like that and be like, Oh, I'm overweight or I'm fat or I have to lose five pounds, whatever. And it might be something deeper. And like, it doesn't feel good to have that water weight connected to us. Like it, it does feel heavy. And so I think just the lightness and the relief that's had mentally for me has probably paid it played into a big part of the biology aspect as well. Awesome. And for folks listening who aren't familiar with legs up the wall, could you describe how to do it or what it is? <laughs> yes. Okay. It's my favorite thing I do at the den end of every day. It's really important. So if you are someone, I especially do this after a flight, flying is really hard on our lymph. We're sitting for a long period of time. If you work a desk job where you're sitting constantly, that's hard on our lymph. Um, and so I literally just like, I scoot up against a wall and get my butt as close to the possible as the wall. And then I just put my legs straight up. Like if it's confusing, you can just like Google, like it's like a yoga thing, like legs up the wall pose. And then I do it for 20 minutes and it is like afterwards and it helps your, um, like blood flow. And it's very relaxing, I would say too. Like I, sometimes I'll do it before I go to bed, but I think because of the lymph also, this is something that I learned from Andra, who's also on Twitter. She, she was talking about how, like, if you wake up really groggy and really tired, no matter what, that can also be a sign of stagnant lymph. And so sometimes if I do my legs up the wall before I go to bed, it'll, it'll wake me up. And I'm like, okay, that's how I know it must be like really stagnant because I'm not tired. I'm just, <laughs> I'm like all wired now and excited to be alive. So I would definitely try it for the first time in the middle of the day before, before you go to bed. But um, yeah, and that's just a simple, like doing stuff like that for the lymph is such a simple, actionable thing that you literally can do every day and it's free. And there's other things you can do too, but a lot of people are into dry brushing for the lymphatic system which to me was just, it wasn't comfortable. Like it's so scratchy and it feels almost like too rough. 
And so I think you kind of have to find like simple things that work for you. But I would especially recommend it if you're someone who sits a lot or if you after a flight, like if your legs get swollen, that's like the first thing I would do. Awesome. Very doable. Legs up the wall, 20 minutes. It's the new seated meditation. It's going to be taking taking the nation by storm. We're going to be move, moving that limp around. I know. I get, I get DMs from guys sometimes. They're like, can guys do this too? I'm like, yeah. There's no, you, don't, you can do it too. Like you have a lymphatic system. <laughs> yes. Everyone, this is this one is, is applicable to, to all listeners. Legs up the wall. In fact, stop what you're doing right now. Whatever you're doing, listening to this, get your legs up the wall for 20 minutes. Yeah, the with the lymph system and the fascia, you, you're riffing on that for a bit. And I, I do agree. It is absolutely amazing how movement changes the mind and our, our body minds, the way that we position ourselves. Posture is a big one, like being slumped over, especially on the phone is like a difficult unconscious habit to break, but that will make mood more negative. And I think that's maybe even a primary contributor to why so much social media content tends to veer on the, in the negative plane, because I think a lot of people are sort of hunched over while they're using it, which then generates more of a, like a negative sort of neurotic state versus being chest up and, and open or legs up the wall or dancing or walking where thoughts tend to just flow and, and life is more of a optimistic experience. And yeah, it's, it's definitely a deep one that I hope more people come to realize in the coming years. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's crazy to see, like seeing young people today and how bad their posture is is like heartbreaking like you see like young kids who should have you know really strong powerful postures walking around so hunched over and I'm like dang they don't even have they don't even have a chance like they don't even know they're spending all their times on their phones and all their times in schools and it's it's wild to see like even watching old movies and looking how good people's posture was back then I'm like oh gosh I need to sit up (laughs) yeah yeah that's that that's definitely a an a career as a, as a chiropractor may, may just be a very lucrative endeavor, you know, in, in the uh, coming decades, unfortunately. But I think, I think, think there, there does need to be some, some awareness around that um, because it really is, is powerful. And, and it's sort of a key that unlocks this understanding of the body mind as well. I think there's this pretty famous idea of the, the Superman posture, where if you're going to be going like into a meeting or having an important phone call, you kind of like spread your arms open and, and lift your chest high and really reach as, as high as you can and as far as you can and expand yourself and you start to have more of an expansive and confident state of mind as well. And, and that links into if you can have a standing desk versus a sitting desk, that can be really helpful because you're on your feet and it allows your lymph, which is sort of like a system of hoses, if I'm understanding correctly, essentially a, a running you know, fluid system where you can have that flow being active as opposed to being kinked like a hose if you're seated. And you know, sometimes that's unavoidable if you're in a car or a plane, but a lot of times when we're working at a desk, we can be standing or even something like floor sitting is something that I've been loving playing around with where from sitting on the floor, I can be in Seiza or shifting in the 90-90 or all these various floor sitting positions, which is the norm on earth. A lot of humans are are doing that instead of sitting in chairs, even though they're in third world countries. It's I think it's a fundamental part of, of their health that we're sort of underplaying in the, in the first world. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a big fan of like, I want to get one of those really weird chairs that you like kneel on. They look like some weird, like Swedish art design. I'm like, I'm going to get one of those for the office. (laughs) Part of this like awakening that that we're talking about is this almost understanding that everything's wrong. It's like waking up and and looking around and thinking, well, not, not wrong necessarily, but 
it's it's hurting it's hurting us we, we've evolved and innovated to the point where we're being damaged by our own sort of evolution and innovation it's quite an interesting place to be growing up in this world and awakening to how many things are just off kilter or when before we started recording we were talking about airpods for example and those are those are very popular i see people wearing them all the time but in the internet space where we both like to create we have an awareness around the idea that this is sort of frying brain cells it's yeah. generating emf and, and probably better to avoid that and use just like a cheap pair of wired headphones oh yeah it's fun it's funny too because i i used to have a couple of years ago i had a pair of those like super nice noise canceling bluetooth headphones and i would wear them when i was walking and i was like i can like feel my mom thought i was crazy i was like i can like She's like, does it give you a headache? I was like, no, but like, I can like feel the radiation. Like I swear, like it's like when you sit with like a laptop on your lap, I'm like, it could just be a placebo because I know that there's radiation coming from it, but I'm like, I swear I can feel it. Like it's active. Yeah. I think I can feel it as well. It's subtle, but you can definitely feel, feel that frequency. I Microwave, like if I'm around a, a microwave running, it's a similar experience where I can sort of feel that thing operating and it's not like a, painful experience, but it certainly is something that I can subtly sense. And I, I think the opposite is true as well. If I'm earthing, mm. I can feel that from a subtle perspective, especially as the time increases more towards like the 20 minute realm, I start to feel sort of supercharged by that experience. Absolutely. Especially because you live near ocean, right? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's like the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing beats the ocean, but it, it's also an experience I can tap into just walking barefoot at a park as well, where it's a little more subtle, but it's definitely maybe, and maybe this is happening in my imagination, but then at, at what level is it, you know, imagination and reality at what level do they overlap? Right. Oh yeah. No, that's, I, I believe it. I'm like, I believe what, I mean, our imaginations are so incredibly powerful. And I think that we, that's how kids, like kids are naturally in tune to these kinds of things. And then I think the older we get, the more it's, like kind of gaslit out of us in a way. And so I think that like peeling back the layers of what we've learned and like getting back to our roots, you kind of start to gain those like childlike abilities again. And so I think that kids are so in tune with animals and nature and things around them and they have a natural liking towards what they should like. And so I think that the further someone goes into their, their health journey, really like the more childlike they become and that should that should be the goal <laughs> <laughs> that's really well said i love that idea and children do have this vibrant vitality a certain purity and exuberance that so many lose and when i do when i when i feel at my healthy it's 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 when i'm sort of encapsulating that energy that exuberance that just raw love of, of life and experience and being in the moment and laughing and playing. And that, that to me is, is health ultimately and vitality to be able to access that and spread it to others. Oh yeah. Everyone's like, don't trust a fat doctor. I'm like, don't trust an angry doctor, <laughs> you know, but like, don't, don't trust a miserable, manipulative, angry, holistic, even I don't care if they're an acupuncturist or a surgeon, like that's, if you're in the health space, it should not only reflect in your physique, so-and-so, but it should also reflect in your demeanor, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think when you're preparing food for someone, cooking food for someone, the energy that the state that you're in also transfers to like the quality of the meal and the health, the healthfulness of that meal? Oh, I totally think so. Like mind, our mind is so much more powerful than anything. And I think that that's where 
it, things can be too much. Like if you are going out to eat with your family and you're like stressing about every little seed oil possible, I'm like, are, the human body is the most intelligent thing created in this entire world. Like it, it has survived incredible history and, and incredible traumas and things like that. A little bit of seed oil is going to be okay. Like I think that the mental stress of that um, can totally change your body's interpretation of, of what you're eating. Similarly to how our nervous system is so deeply tied to our digestive system that there's even instances with people with digestive issues were remedied just from giving them anti-anxiety medication. And so if your body's in fight or flight constantly, you're not going to be absorbing the nutrients from your food because it doesn't have time to, to break them down. And so I think that if you're just constantly stressed about what you're eating, you're not even, and even if you could make the perfect like healthy meal, but if you're completely stressed while eating it, you're not going to absorb the nutrients. And I think the flip side is true that you could eat you know, a meal that would be considered unhealthy, but if it's, if it's made by someone you love and you pray over it and you, and you take it as, as a blessing, then your body will absorb the nutrients from it. Awesome. Yes. That may sound esoteric, but it, it's absolutely true. And there just must be a reason why this is, this idea has been a primary part of almost every religion that I'm aware of is like praying before a meal and sort of having, using your mind to manipulate reality in a way. And harmonize with the experience to generate a more beautiful outcome. Yeah. My mom always tells me if I'm, if I'm struggling with a decision or a problem, she always tells me to pray over a glass of water and drink it. And so I'm, I'm like, that's, that's like, you're never going to find that advice from a therapist, (laughs) you know, but it probably like, that's, yeah, that's how I decide things. So if I'm ever in like own a serious company, I'll be in a boardroom praying over my water before I drink it. (laughs) Yes, this is awesome. And I'm wondering now what other sort of esoteric habits that you have that you sort of use in life to cultivate a higher state of being? Ooh, I think um, that's a good question, actually. I, I've always been really good at spending time alone. And I think that even if I didn't understand that it was like some type of esoteric health hack, when I was a kid, I was so good at being alone. I didn't need friends. And I think that like building a world by myself and like building emotional resiliency by myself has been my biggest hack. Like having faith is like the most important thing. And that kind of bleeds into all sections of your life. And then beyond that is it would just be more physical. Like the spiritual aspect of it would be for me, like praying or like reading the Bible and and things like that. And then the physical aspect would be, I love to like, I don't do cold plunges or cold showers. I'm not sure how I feel about them. Like I think that in the dead of winter, getting in a cold plunge sounds awful. And so I think that there's a reason it sounds awful, but in the summer, I I live in Texas, it's 170 degrees. It sounds great. You know? So I think I prefer to live seasonally, but like I will take, I used to always take a, a bowl of ice cold water into the shower with me. And I love taking like extremely long, really hot showers. And then I would, I would pray over this bowl and I would put like essential oils in it for my hair or whatever. And then I would dump it on my head afterwards. And so the hot and cold is good for vagus nerve simulation. Um, Hmm. And so I think more so the aspect of like praying over the water, because I used to have really bad nightmares was like, kind of like my way of, of asking for, of asking God for protection while I slept. Um, And so like little things like that, I would say, would probably be like, I guess, esoteric health hacks. Beyond that, it's more just like morning sunlight and wearing socks at night in the winter to protect my kidneys and and little fun things like that. <laughs> nice. 
in the nightmares, what what do you think those are? Nightmares and, and dreams. Do you have a, a perspective on and what those represent or what those are? I think that there's actually a huge component of nutrition that plays into nightmares because I used to have, I started getting sleep paralysis as a teenager and it was on and off. And in my early twenties, it was so bad that I would be like afraid to go to sleep. And then it kind of went away. And then it came back again, like a few years ago where I was having such bad nightmares that I was getting just like, you know, that like anxious feeling where you want to crawl out of your skin. That's the only way I could describe it is like, I would feel that every night. And every morning when I woke up and I would just like wake up like terrified. Um, and so I was trying to do all of these different things. Like people were like, wrap, like wrap your head in a white scarf before you go to bed to like ward off bad spirits. I'm like, at this point, I'll try anything. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll pray. I'll do whatever. Um, so I had this like 30 minute nighttime routine also. I wouldn't have nightmares. And then once I really dialed in my nutrition, they kind of just stopped. And I can't tell you the last time I had a nightmare, but I actually, and this is not founded in science at all. This is completely me making it up just because I think it's a pattern is I actually think that there is some level of gluten intolerance being related to nightmares because that's the only thing that I've changed that substantially. Like I, I, that's the one thing I can't eat. And I'm sure like once I, you know, continue to heal my gut or whatever, maybe I can one day, but even like homemade sourdough with organic wheat, just my body just doesn't do well with gluten at all. And it has a very emotional response. I would say like, I get very bad brain fog and I get very irritable and very tired, like so tired. And I've never done a test. It's like $300 to find out if you're intolerant. And I'm like, I think I could just figure that out myself, (laughs) you know, like, Um, but I actually do that might, that may sound crazy, but if you're someone that struggles with nightmares and sleep paralysis, I would just, I would try cutting out gluten for a month and see if it, if it goes away. So I I think some people are haunted by a more spiritual aspect of it, but mine seems to be more of a physical thing, or there's probably some type of stress that happens on your body when you sleep, or there's probably some micronutrient related to nightmares, but, um, yeah, no more sleep paralysis. So that's good. (laughs) Nice. God, you you figured that one out. It is, it is a fascinating aspect of of life. Dreams have always fascinated me, and, and nightmares as well. It's I don't think we'll ever truly understand it, or maybe we will if we kind of take a different perspective to these things. I think maybe traditional cultures had a better sort of relationship to their dream life. Yeah. And I wonder, because I know my, my mom just got a pair of grounding sheets and she says her dreams have been so vivid and wow. um, like real and more like about like nature and wolves and types of things like that. And so I'm like, I wonder <laughs> if our modern world is pulling us further and further away from our dream state. Um, and I have like, I do think dreams are very powerful. I've never been someone to keep a dream journal because I dream so much. I'm like, I don't have time to be writing like theses in the morning about like everything I did at night. Like I'm busy in my dreams. I can't keep track of this, but you know, but I do um, twice in my life. I've had friends of mine, friends who didn't know each other. They've come to me in my dreams and it has been so real. And they've like looked me in the eyes and they've told me they're pregnant. And then both times I've texted them the next morning and been like, Hey, I had a dream that you were pregnant. And they were like, I literally just found out this week I'm pregnant. And so like, I definitely think that there is like a women's intuition aspect to our dreams. Um, and it is very important to keep, to, to kind of keep tabs on them and, and 
and to see like that's so biblical too like god used to deliver messages and dreams and things as well and so i think it is important to keep tabs on and if you are having nightmares i think it's important to try and work through that as well absolutely wild and i I guess in relation to this it is interesting how like as kids as a child i remember having such so much more vivid dreams but it to me that almost doesn't make sense because like as a like what what important messages is it, am I getting as as a child? You know? Yeah, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, they're like, I got to keep track of this. People are communicating <laughs> to me in my dreams. Yeah. Speaking of childhood, you shared a couple pictures online the other day, which I'll link down in the show notes because they're really awesome. <laughs> of you busting a mutton. <laughs> mutton busting, yeah. <laughs> So this is this is if you if you grew up going to rodeos, which maybe not a lot of people did, but I'm born and raised in Texas, so that was part of my. I, I grew up horseback riding. I loved horses my whole life. Um, grew up horseback riding, and I grew up mutton busting, which is if you they will take a tiny child. I was like four years old, and they give you a pair of chaps and a helmet, and they and you climb on top of a huge sheep the way. Um, a cowboy would do bull riding. It's like the children's version of that. And then they open the gate and then you basically are timed to see how long you can stay on while this sheep runs around the rodeo arena trying to get you off of his back. And so I totally forgotten about it. And my mom pulled pictures out of the garage and there's me as like a little kid with my helmet and my my American flag <laughs> cowgirl outfit on on top of a sheep. So <laughs> it's it was so much fun. I my mom thought I was crazy for doing it, but I was like, I have to do that. It's gonna be so much fun. That's awesome. Have you did you have like a penchant for sort of adrenaline adrenalizing activities, or is that just like a random thing? Do you think? I think it was random. I it's people in my life have always told me I'm somewhat unpredictable, and so I think that there's just certain things that I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do that. That looks like so much fun. And everyone in my life is like, I would have never guessed you would be interested in that. But um, I've always liked animals and I've always, I like experiences. I like trying new things and I'm, I'm not a huge adrenaline person, but I do, I'm not a super fearful person by any means, I would say. Awesome. And in the, in the realm of loving animals and and farm life, have you been into going to visit farms around, around Texas and, and, getting local food. I, I know that's that's probably a part of, of your life, but like how has that, the, the farm scene in Texas and how has that kind of played out in, in your experience? I, yeah, I grew up with like a lot of family friends that had ranches and around horses a lot. Um, and I go to, I've been to, you know, just like local ranches around here to get meat and raw milk and eggs or whatever. I haven't done a ton of, I just moved to Austin. I haven't done a ton of, of ranch visits out there, but um, but no, I, it, you kind of get a new respect for it. The older you get, I would say, like I grew up, I had so many animals growing up. I, my, I had a pet millipede at one point. I've had turtles. I've had, I've had birds. What else have I had? Literally everything. And I think that when you're kid, like a kid, animals are really cool. But then when you become an adult, you just kind of like gain so much respect for life and and where that comes from and like honoring where your food came from. And so I think that like buying food where you know it came, where you know the farm it came from and being able to, to meet the people that stewarded that land is like so special. And it definitely has like kind of given me much deeper respect for animals as a whole. 
similar experience. Yeah, they're pretty pretty cool places, and it's sad to sort of see that a lot of them are have been vanishing. And I think we're in the middle of sort of a resurgence of, of coming back back to that. That's just another thing on the list that we're awakening to and sort of reconnecting with and finding the amazing beauty and, and glory within these places called farms where they make food from scratch essentially it's just yeah really cool it's amazing i mean they really are the backbone of america and it's it, i watched have you seen the documentary food inc yes okay i watched that it came out in 2009 so i was what like like 10 12 years old i don't even know and i watched that and i was on a business trip with my dad and i watched that movie on the way there and i was like dad i can't eat anywhere do you know what they're doing to these cows, like these chickens? I was like, Dad, don't make me eat this food. You don't get it. And he was like, oh, gosh, what did you watch? Like, but I was mortified by that movie. I remember going home and looking at my pantry and being like, I can't eat anything from here after I know what they're doing to these animals. Yeah. The fact factory farming is, is pretty alarming. And to think that's just such an overwhelming majority of the food that everyone is consuming and similar to the posture from the, the negative energy that comes as a result of that, there's that just another layer of suffering that is rippling out into the world that can be subverted. We don't, we don't have to subscribe to that mainstream factory farm system. We can find cool local farms. Like there's, there's one here, Apricot Lane Farms, which is in a documentary called Biggest Little Farm, which is just this amazing, delightful documentary about small farm life, regenerative farm in Southern California, which is a little bit unique to this area, but is a just an amazing sort of vibrant look at what life could be like on on, on the land and, and with the food and with nature. And it's really cool to think that we can play a part in bringing that back to more people and enjoying the consequences. I absolutely agree. And I think that there's a level of arrogance and narcissism that comes with the belief that we could operate outside of nature for so long without consequences. Like, the big food system continue, continually trading quality for quantity has gotten us to a place where, you know, the soil is going to take, what, hundreds of years to, to renew. And I think that it's very, it's a good reminder that we you can't outsmart nature and life finds a way. And it's going to be interesting to see the downstream consequences that have and to see how many people are changing their minds now. Like we're in such a good point right now. Like I'm not a I'm not a doomer black pill believer. I'm very much like farms are everywhere. We're all going to make it. It's going to be fine. You know, like I think I believe, I believe in the best of humanity, but I do think that it's very interesting to, to observe for so long, how many people believe that they could truly just outsmart nature for money without any consequences. It is very hope inspiring. It, it's great to see this regeneration and, and just the life force and to watch it all come to be. And then to integrate that, entire energy of a small flourishing farm or a happy farmer just working the land and caring for their system, their animals, their crops with love, milking the cow and providing that raw milk. It's such a, a vibrant way to access higher vibrations because it's just, that's the entire process. Like that's the entire system. And then you're playing a part of that integrating into the body. And it really is something that has just uplifted my life tremendously. And I, I hope more people can can tap into that. But I, I know that there is another aspect of, of food that I was hoping to speak with you about before 
I forget. I wanted to ask about gelatin because I know you post some amazing gelatin recipes. And I, I think yes. this is something that I'm really curious to learn more about. Okay. I'm obsessed with gelatin. Anyone that follows me can tell I have a gelatin recipe for every flavor. Um, and I, I got into it because I'm not a huge, I don't enjoy the process of making bone broth, I would say. Um, and getting like using powdered gelatin to make treats, it's much more appealing to me than than making and drinking bone broth. And that was kind of like the selfish way that I got into it. But glycine is such an important aspect and I eat a very protein heavy diet. And so balancing the, the muscle meats, like the amino acids and muscle meats with the anti-inflammatory ones and gelatin um, was really important to me. And so I started making, I was like, you can turn anything that's a liquid into jello form. And the implications with that were so exciting for me because I was like, everyone's just doing boring stuff. It's like, grape jello or whatever. And I was like, no, we need to make the most exciting things possible and turn them into gel form. And gelatin's a good, this is like a traditional Chinese medicine thing is it's a good, everyone talks about how collagen's good for your hair and gelatin's good for your hair, but gelatin's a blood builder too. So it's not only giving you the collagen and the glycine and the proline are precursors to collagen in our body. So if you eat gelatin, it's going to contain those amino acids that are precursors to collagen in your body, which is how it's going to build your hair, your skin, and your nails, but also gelatin is a blood builder. And so it's really great to have like just throughout the day, like with your meals and to, it's full of protein. Um, and so I, pro I try and eat it every day because it's a quick source of protein. You can make it with fruit juices. You can make it with herbal adaptogens. You can do anything with it. And um, it's kind of like a very big in the repeat community because they're all, you know, like gelatin is like the anti-inflammatory version of getting protein and I'm probably butchering that. But um, so, yeah, I started making I just started making jello and then I've made every flavor. I, I love my favorite gelatin flavor I make is a raw cream and cold brew gummy. And I do it with salt and maple syrup. And it's like a salted cold brew snack. And it's so delicious. They're so good. Um, I do that one. And then I do marshmallows too. Like there's the options are endless with gelatin. You can even add it to a soup. You can add it to a sauce. And it's going to give you so many anti-inflammatory amino acids. It's going to give you protein. It's going to help seal that gut lining and have a lot of the benefits of eating nose to tail with just a way of like making a delicious little fruit jello type of thing. Um, so yeah, but I, I really enjoy the process of like, what is the most insane thing I can make and turn it into a jello form and see if it works. <laughs> so that's like my main goal each week. And like this week, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to make peppermint chocolate marshmallows and put them in my coffee. And that's my, it's like my entire goal for this week is like figuring that out. So yeah, the gelatin's become very popular, but you can make it like an herbal tea and turn it into a gelatin like herbal gummies, medicinal gummies. I'll make sleepy gummies with like tart cherry juice and magnesium. Um, so something I recommend that like everyone should add to their diet, especially if you eat a lot of if protein, like muscle meats, you kind of want to balance it out and, and get more variety. So yeah, if you need a recipe, anyone can feel free to DM me. I'm, I'm here to help. Awesome. I'm glad I remembered to ask about that because that is fascinating. And I will, I will link the recipe down below you mentioned the raw cream and coffee and the maple and the sea salt i'll link that down below so people can access the that goodness because I, it definitely is another thing that is is probably missing from a lot of diets if people are know the importance of meat but they're eating a lot of muscle meats the balancing that out with the glycine is, is definitely very important 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like I feel a lot better when I eat it. And that was like the, that's like another thing that led me to it was just, I was craving it. I had Jello once and I was like, why do I only want to eat Jello? Like this is, so, I must've been really deficient and really needed it. And so I just was just craving it a ton and was like, all right, now's the time. Awesome. Well, this has been a tremendous conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface on these things, but it's been almost an hour and, and the time flew by. So I want to make sure that I thank you for, for coming on to join me and give you some time and space to add anything else that, that, you'd, that you'd like to add to the conversation that we may have missed or that you'd like to share. Um, I don't know. I, I, my only thing is like, I keep my, I keep my Twitter DMs open and anyone can always, you know, message me with questions. Like I've had women ask me for book recommendations for nutrition or cycle tracking or things like that. Like I always, always keep my DMs open. I don't mind answering any questions. I actually quite enjoy it. I get the weirdest messages. I had a, a man message me a jello recipe he made and it was the most terrifying thing I'd ever seen. It was, <laughs> it was a, a methylene blue pumpkin seed cottage cheese gelatin <laughs> bowl and I was like can I screenshot this like I was, I have to post it I have yet to post it because I don't even know what to say but it is truly the most terrifying thing I've ever seen so if you want to send me your gelatin creations too feel free <laughs> That's, that's going to be tough to top, everyone, but the challenge has been dropped. So go and create an amazing gelatin bowl, send it to Carlisle, and everything that you've shared has has, has been tremendous. I, I, I love connecting with you and, and learning more about your life and, and your perspective. It's, it's been delightful. So thank you for, for coming on, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Oh, yeah. You as well. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thank you.